I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have, but we have just Eddie. It's Kevin Sauer. I have with me Anita DeFrance. Eric Murray. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Pinson. Kevin Murphy, thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo with Rover's Choice, and we've been on hiatus. All right, we, we, we've done a lot of podcasts, but this one means a lot to me because this is a coach, this is someone that I've known, I think like six years, seven years. And uh, you know, she's what we call a journey woman, right? In the sport of rowing, I think you all understand that coaches bounce from team to team to team, hopefully to a better program. And we did not hear from her for about six months. And we didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden we get a text message saying, you're not gonna believe where I am today. And we're going to be talking about that. But first, Stephanie Ricker, thank you for being here on the podcast with me today. I'm excited for this. I'm excited too. And uh, I was thinking back earlier today, I think we actually met in 2011. So it might be closer to 10 years. Yeah. I got to write that down. I can't forget that. I can't forget that. So 10 years, this is incredible. So when I had started Finish Line, you had come into my life, right? You were, and, and you're going to have to remind me of all the programs that you were with, because you've, you've been around, and not in a negative way. You've just, you've been around, Stephanie. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I've definitely let's made my rounds. Let's start, I always ask this question to every person I interview is, where were you, how old were you when you picked up an oar? Give me that, give me that first experience. Okay, I love this question, because I always joke that if I write an autobiography, it's going to be called um, spandex or spandex or sequence, because I was in eighth grade when one of my best friends joined the rowing team. He was a year older than me. Uh, and he told me I had to join either color guard or crew with him my first year in high school. And I had no idea what either was. And he told me basically it came down to a choice between spandex or sequence. And I chose spandex, obviously. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, so um, <laughs> the only high school rowing team in mid-Michigan, uh, it's Bay City High School Rowing, or it was um, Bay City Rowing Club. It still exists today. They still have a lot of high schoolers coming out of there more now than they did before. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had some coaches that had never gotten to row competitively themselves and came up through the program or as master's rowers. Uh, and it was actually founded as a historic boathouse in the middle of nowhere, Michigan middle of nowhere, Michigan, and now you're sort of in the middle of nowhere, Rhode Island, but we're going to get there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the middle of nowhere. It really is. So you, you, you row, you, you fall in love with it. Thank God you did not choose sequence. Cause that just would have been <laughs> a horrible choice <laughs> for you. Yeah, Who knows yeah. where you would have ended up? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez Louise. All right. So then walk me through your first coaching experience, right? So when did you decide this is my full-time job and where were you? When did you start? Where were you? Yeah, so um, I rode at Grand Valley State, and that's when I learned what slide control was. Mm. Um, so I realized that my coaches needed some help back home. I started coaching part-time, like in the summers, and then coaching uh, intramural and novice uh, at Grand Valley, basically to pay my dues. And from there, I got to Barry University uh, for grad school. I got to row Division Two, so NCAA for the first time, and continued to coach back in my high school. Um, ended up coaching full-time there for a little bit and the master's rowing and it just kind of transitioned in. So my first full-time, like knew this was going to be my career um, coaching opportunity was at Vassar College where I met you. Mm -hmm. Before I that, remember, it was just always like a side project. 
we at Vassar, you had bought a boat from us. And I remember the delivery, it was really cold. And like, there was some young guy with you and we were moving boats. And I just remember that experience. I think it was like at a, I want to say like McDonald's parking lot or like a, like yep. it was a, it was a very weird parking lot. We were changing <laughs> boats. And but what's, what I love about this, um, this story so far is um, there is no right way to start rowing. You know, you, you, you met some people that really didn't know what they were doing. Then you got a really good experience at Grand Valley. And at the time, it's a fast program. Like they weren't Absolutely. slow, right? Like you, you found, and then you found the love of it in the novice rowing and then Vassar College. So I love that. And like, it's purity, like it's the purity yeah. of the sport. And I'm assuming none of your family ever rowed. It wasn't no, like red in you. No, no. And it was cool that like, I obviously everybody has a rowing family at this point too. Mm. And it was my family that really encouraged me to choose a college based on where I got to row and do what I wanted to do in college. So that was Grand Valley State. I'm, I'm a short rower. So it's not like I was a scholarship rower at that point. And I wanted to go somewhere where I could be extremely competitive, but also get an awesome education. And who was your coach at Grand Valley? Um, I had coach uh, Jedlix first. So it was Chad and Bree Jedlix. They were Canadian national team members. Bree actually influenced my grad school um, because I decided to go for sports psychology. She was a sports psychologist, still is in Canada. And then my senior year, coach Van Carey came in from uh, Marietta at that time. So this and is this is really fun, right? So what is it, the, the Kevin Bacon seven degrees or six degrees of separation? He was my coach at Marietta, right? right. So yeah. I had him freshman year, you had him senior year. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty fun, right? Like that's yeah. kind of a fun connection. Uh, and you know what, CJ is recording this. CJ, we have got to figure out how to do the seven degrees of Alex Del Sordo. I, I, just came, <laughs> I just came up with it, run with it, think about it. Let's see how we can all sort of get connected in our little sport. Um, Vassar College, yep. it's a college that not a lot of people know about, right? Yep. It's not, you hear Vassar College, you don't think you're gonna win Dad Vales, you're gonna win some big race. Right. What was that? What was that experience like at that smaller tier college coaching level? Um, it was interesting because they had that we're only division three idea when I came in and I came in with that club sport idea from Grand Valley where it didn't matter what size you were. It was that underdog model. So anytime I heard, well, we don't have this, we don't have this, we're only this. I was like, yeah, but did you know you could do this with that? Mm. Yeah, but did you know you could actually step up and be even more competitive? So it was really fun to get my coaching legs under me, like full-time coaching, figuring out how to recruit with no recruiting money, figuring out how to get men's and women's rowing going at the same time with minimal support. Um, at one point we had a student volunteer and a part-time assistant and myself, and that's all we had to run. We were at about a 65, 70 person program. And they were doing an awesome job at Connect Cup. They were doing an awesome job at New York States. They were great with small boats, but we were also trying to figure out how to make it work with high academic um, requirements because mm. it wasn't like they could, it was a 15 minute ride to the boathouse. Water was only good first thing in the morning. And uh, these were kids that were staying up until like midnight, one o'clock, especially theater majors. They were up until like 2 a.m. Really? Yeah, right before a show, absolutely. So we were trying to figure out how to make everything work. So it was interesting, but when you had the right group of kids that just wanted to be competitive and competitive together, because that was something they needed for their college career. That was just something they wanted to be able to look back at. It was really special. 
So I, 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 I'm writing down my notes, you know, like I, yeah. I write down those. And uh, I love this like figure it out mentality and also perseverance. Like I think most of these like division two, division three programs, it's all about perseverance. You know, like the coach, really? you're figuring out your launch doesn't fucking work. Your, your oars are falling apart. Your boats are falling apart. You got short rowers and you got ridiculously tall rowers and, and no one knows what the hell they're doing. And you worked your way through it. And now you went from Vassar. Now, where's the next place? Where did you jump next? So when I was at Vassar, I took on the head coach position directly out of grad school. Um, they took a huge chance on me, which was awesome. And I was hired on as part-time within the first few months. I told them, I was like, this is awesome. I absolutely love it, but there's no longevity in it. Mm -hmm. And I know that, but I just want to make sure you guys understand. And they took another chance on me and they put me up to full-time. So that was awesome to see. But at the same time, I was like, wait a second. I also don't have my legs under me as much as I want to. Mm. So I went to Three Rivers Rowing Association in Pittsburgh as director of community outreach, where I did, um, I worked with inner city girls programs. I started an inner city boys program. We had adaptive rowing. Then we had masters in junior rowing. And then all of the community programs on top of that. Three Rivers. I think most people watching or listening to this, they know how big of a program that is. I mean, yeah. that's a staple in Pittsburgh. How long were you at Pittsburgh? Uh, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, I was only there for about a year and a half. And I say fortunately because I had an amazing opportunity. I just had to jump at, mm -hmm. unfortunately, because like to this day, I'm still in contact with some of my rowers and I miss them a lot. Like mm -hmm. I just had one that uh, graduated on two dean's lists at uh, UPenn and she was one of them that never had a ride home from practices. So it's really cool to watch them develop. And I'm, I miss that. I didn't get to see more of it. Doesn't that, I think that's, that's like the hook. You're like a parent, right? You're like a parent to these kids. And that's why so many coaches stay with it for so long. Like you, you're not getting paid anything. You're getting paid pennies, but seeing a child develop and graduate on Dean's list. I mean, you know, that person's going to, their lives are, different because of you it's a big one well, it's it's yeah it's definitely much more gratifying to be able to say like hey I got to be a part of their life or hey I got to I know that in some way I made their life better I know it wasn't this deciding factor but in some way I got to support them and they're doing great things now it, uh, listen it's beautiful <laughs> I mean that's beautiful three rivers yep where do you go next uh, so I had met Rob Weber um, at uh, U.S. Rowing Conference, and I was just really impressed by he was he kind of built himself up from nothing as well. Um, he rode for a club team in Kentucky and decided that he wanted to um, coach for a living and uh, ended up working with the national team. So I had the opportunity to go work with him at uh, Hamilton College yep. in upstate New York, again, middle of nowhere. But uh it was men's and women's rowing at Hamilton College. It was his second year, my first year. And um, yeah, just kind of hit the ground running up there. We had, uh, so Rob and I did a podcast when he was at Cambridge. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I get it. When you, when you meet him face-to-face -face at a rowing conference, I could see why you want to saddle up next to him, right? You want to learn from this guy. The guy, the guy, the guy's talented. I mean, you don't get to Cambridge not knowing anything, right? You know something. You're like, clearly, you know what you're doing. That's really cool that you did, like at the, at the rowing conference. I have never been a coach at a rowing conference, 
So I don't know what that experience is like. I'm always selling, you know, I'm always right. trying to sell. Is it has, I mean, I, it obviously has been a good thing for you, right? A good experience going to those conferences, like meeting absolutely. and greeting and learning things. I mean, is that, is it a valuable thing to do? I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, I love going there because obviously you get a lot of information in a short period of time. And sometimes that can be overwhelming, but that information, you can either learn a lot of new things or it can also help you validate why you're doing what you're doing. And more importantly is the networking. Um, Some of my best network connections, as far as like those that I know I can rely on and those that have really helped me out through the years have been coming from random meetings at the conference. Because even Rob, I didn't meet until like we were both sitting at the airport board after the conference was done. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking back and forth about like, hey, how did the conference go for you? And just kind of got to know each other that way. That's wonderful. And then you were at Hamilton for a while, but now I think this is where you shifted over to Holy Cross. Is that right? Yeah. So I was at Hamilton for four years. Um, I'm going to like just toot my own horn, horn. Like they went through a little bit of stuff too with Rob transitioning out. They were super excited for him, but uh, they were hitting the, like they just hit the gas right before he left. They had won um, at the Schuylkill or second place ahead of the Schuylkill on the women's yeah. team. We knew it was her fastest year and then he had to leave mid-year and they still got themselves to nationals that year. Men still took second in New York States. So for another you, small who, who program. Coaching, who were you coaching specifically at Hamilton at that time, those four years? Like which boats, which team? Uh, so that was why it was so awesome working there was there were three of us and we both, all three of us coached everybody. So mm. Rob was an awesome leader because he was humble enough to say like, I know all, t- all three of us can help out all three boats. And we really transitioned around however we work best, but I was primarily responsible for uh, women's 2V, men's 2V, and I'd say about 50, 60% responsible for men's 1V. I, I gotta ask this question. Cause like, you know, you're a tiny woman. So I'm just gonna ask it. Like, <laughs> did, you, did you find it difficult or was there any issues coaching 21 20 year old boys like was there ever any I guess disrespect did they not trust you was there any problem there no I think they like I was obviously very supported by having a male like coaching staff surrounding me 90% of the time like for my career but uh, I earned their respect and I made sure I didn't try to like grab it before they were ready to give it so I hold on I gotta write that one down hold on that's a gem you didn't, you didn't get it or you didn't take it. You said you didn't try to take it until they yeah. were ready to give it. Yeah. Like you could be a coach and come into a program and say, this is me, like respect me immediately. But this is actually something that goes back to Van Carey. I remember us interviewing him as weird as that is. And we had asked him uh, before he started at Grand Valley, we're like, okay, what do you want us to ca- call you? Coach Van Carey? Do you want us to call you John? And he's like, you know what? Call me John. You'll call me coach when you respect me. I was like, what? Like, as at that point, I was like, what, 20 years old, 21, that we were interviewing this grown professional. And he was saying, like, don't call me coach until you respect me as a coach. So, like, I just had this conversation at Bryant. Um, They can call me whatever they want until they're comfortable with what they feel like they're going to call me. And it's different, too. It's a different vibe. But at the same time, I'm not going to demand somebody calls me something or says demand that somebody gives me their full respect until they're ready to give it because that's not how it happens. That that is a such a I say adult like we're adults, but like, are we, though? Very adult (laughs) thing to say. I mean, that's 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 I, I have interviewed like hundreds of coaches 
right? And I don't think, and CJ can confirm this, I don't think I've ever heard someone say that before. Really? Like, really? No, truthfully, I'm, I don't think I've ever heard someone say that they don't feel they, they deserve the respect until they've earned it and then until they're ready to give it. Stephanie, that is a very powerful thing to say. And I'm, and I'm so happy for future rowers under you that you're a sponge, you soak it up. You've learned so much in all of your experience. Like you're going to change some people's lives. That's a goal. It, I, it's working already, but listen, <laughs> let, me, let me, I want to shift a little bit here. I want to touch yeah. on something that um, is very sensitive. And a year and a half ago, you're at Holy Cross right. and there was a devastating loss and you were right there in the middle of it, right? Yeah. You were a coach. You, I know how close you were with these athletes and how close you do get with these athletes. Something outsiders of Holy Cross, we don't really know other than a few articles that were written, what was really going on in that team at that yeah. time. You don't have to share every detail, but I'd love to know from a coach's experience, seeing and being a part of something like that. Can you just talk to me about just that general experience? Yeah. So, um, when I, I first got to Holy Cross um, with the July before the accident, so I'd only been there for about seven months mm -hmm. um, and bonded with the team pretty quickly. But we had our top 20 athletes, top 21 athletes in Florida for a, a January training trip. It was one that they had qualified for. So obviously like they were super excited. And on our first day, as everybody knows through the articles, uh, first full day of training on the way to the course, um, they there was an accident in the lead vehicle. So we had two vans um, and lead vehicle got into a car accident that unfortunately changed uh, pretty much everybody's lives. Uh, we lost uh, one of the most genuine humans I have ever met. And we've been watching the recovery of uh, about nine others physically, but also, you know, not just those 20 girls, but everybody that surrounds them, their families, their uh, teammates, everybody else, uh, as far as the emotional toll, but it's carried on them. And you don't realize how insignificant you are until you're in a position like that. And you can't, you can't fix it. Like as coaches, we love to fix everything. We know that we can have the right drill. We can have the right practice. We can alter practice times. We can alter boats and lineups and everything possible to change the outcome of a season. There is nothing in that moment I could do to change the outcome of that event. Let's uh, let's 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 pray this never happens again. Yeah. But if it does, what do you say to a coach? You know, let what? How do you prepare a coach? What do you say to a coach that goes through this? it's inevitable that something will happen again, right? There's yeah. too many cars on the road. There's too many things that can go wrong, right? But now that you've experienced it, now that you're 18 months removed from it, um, still inside you, what do you say to that young coach who might go through that? Um, I guess just a little bit, like one of my biggest priorities was just that the girls were okay mm -hmm. and they'll never be fully okay, but I wanted to make sure they felt supported. And so one of the things that worked best for me was to drop any facade I had of being like superhuman and just be real with them. I was a human that went through this with them. I was true and authentic. And I feel like everybody should be about, I saw, I 
decided to go to counseling immediately, trauma counseling immediately, because was I knew that, that was provided. Safe. Was that provided by the school, or did um, you take that yourself? The school had has been absolutely amazing with supporting the girls and the staff with everything that we needed. But I stuck it out myself and then continued with it by the school. Got but be authentic with your experience because it allows the athletes to be authentic with theirs and rely on your community. That is absolutely not something anybody, the athletes, the coaches, anybody can go through alone. Hmm. But there is no shame in being vulnerable. There's no shame in letting people know if that's something that you're struggling with. And the more you're authentic about your experience, the quicker you're going to get through it or the better you're going to get through it, but also the more you're helping those around you. Well, these are, these are powerful things. I'm, I'm very interested now in how these other girls are doing, you know, these other women and their families, um, because, you know, you know, you know how news media outlets work. They see this big story, it happens, but they don't address what happens after the fact. What is going on with the team? How have they bounced back? How, or have they not? Yeah. So I think, um, obviously like I'm, I'm not working with the team, but I'm only 20, 30 minutes down the road. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, they know the lines of communication are always open. Uh, I think their racing is going to show for it. They are some of the most resilient human beings that I have ever met. And I am so impressed with them with not just how much they recognize that being well as whole individuals is important to them, not just as human beings, but also as rowers but also the amount that they've been able to lean in on each other, the amount that they've been able to support each other and really find some kind of meaning through everything. So they've embraced the idea of love the fight. It was uh, when I had first gotten to Holy Cross, we had decided we needed a team motto for the season because it's something that worked well at Hamilton to allow them to set what their tone was for the season. And it was actually Grace that came up with it with Megan Moriarty, who was our team captain at the time. And everybody got on board quickly, love the fight. And that was love every moment of training, love every heartache, love every single step along the way, not just love the race once you get there. You know, all this experience and, you know, traumatic experience and then four years at Hamilton and the Three Rivers has led you to something really amazing. Yeah. And I'm glad that we addressed this. Now, I, I, again, this is really important for future coaches and for people who go through this. Of course. Let's get on track to Brian. Now, you, I laugh because you and I talked about this like a week and a half ago. I can't fucking believe you got this job. And I can curse because this is my pocket. <laughs> but, you know, you're this, you're this, I don't want to say young, you're this seasoned coach who is now running a brand new program. Yeah. That's never existed before, right? It's been a club team. Um, I, I know how you got the job. I, I don't think it really matters, you know, because it's some of it's luck, some of it's being the right place at the right time. But let's just talk about the school itself, okay? Yeah. What makes Bryant so much different or better than other options out there for people? What makes this program so different and unique? Like pretend I'm a I'm a 17 year old kid and I want to I, I want a place to row. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, so obviously, like, if you look at what my career is, I've only worked at institutions that I feel strongly about that I feel I can sell authentically, just because I hate the idea of ever getting behind something that I'm like, like, is it your best option? Like, I've legit told students when I thought that they should look into other schools in the past. Brian's awesome. Uh, what I tell kids is it's 
it's a division one rowing team. We're choosing our own conference right now, as far as where we're going to be competing because the NEC, which uh, is our institution conference, doesn't have rowing officially. So we are joining a conference by the end of this year. Um, we've gotten it narrowed down, unfortunately, I can't say where, but um, we've gotten it narrowed down, but we are a division one institution that's small enough to give specific energy to every single student that goes there. So we're about 3,300 students. We have a grad program as well. And it's the, the, all the benefits of being like a division three, where you're looking at the small class sizes and the individual attention you're looking at and ability to really develop yourself as yourself as a whole human, but with all of the benefits of being a division one institution. Now, so remind me, remind me, give me some benefits of a division one. Like, what does that mean? Is it financial? Is it academic support? Like what is the D one support? Yeah, it's uh, it's the financial, it's the academic support. It's being able to really make sure that you have the best resources possible behind your four-year experience at, at college. Obviously, these are formative years. You want to make sure that not only you're getting the benefits of having a solid budget and a really good program with awesome equipment, but you also want to make sure that you can get the tutoring that you need. You can get the academic attention that you need. You can get into the correct classes for you and you mm -hmm. can get the internships and everything else that you need to be successful when you get out of there. It's wild to me. Like it's wild that, what was it like a, a year ago, programs are being put by the wayside, right? right. Like Dartmouth and Stanford and GW, which is gone. And then here comes Bryant, this tiny little school, 3,300 in the middle of Rhode Island, that says, no, 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 no. We want rowing. We want it right now. Uh, it's it, That's insane to me. Now, I know that when I spoke to you a week and a half ago, you had like no athletes, right? So like, where are we at today? Give me an update on recruiting, what you're planning to do for the next six months. Yeah, so um, yeah, when we talked a week and a half ago, we had literally three returning athletes from the club team. That's it, because COVID hit them hard. Uh, but we had three returning athletes and the girls and I met and we just talked about basically what the goals are for the program and what they want their legacy to be. Now that they are the only three students that get to say that they wrote at the foundation of Bryant, but also the foundation of the division one um, chapter of Bryant's history. Uh, so once we started talking, they've been killing it with on-campus recruiting. I have 14 awesome individuals that just came up to me and they said like, hey, we want to try this out. We want to have this opportunity to be division one rowers. And they've been like, they've been killing it at practices. I'm not going to lie. But um, besides that, we're hitting the ground hard with uh, off-campus recruiting. Like we have our recruiting budget. We have a lot of support staff behind us. We have admissions saying, do you need us to travel somewhere to talk to students at different institutions and stuff like that? Um, like the row new york the row la because we have admissions counselors everywhere they're willing to stop in and talk to clubs just to get the bryant name out there because not only did bryant commit to women's rowing they committed to three they adding three women's sports at the same time so they are committed to yeah to providing these awesome opportunities for female athletes yeah. to get to an awesome institution that's like what second ranked in the country for return on investment i had mentioned to you I, I, wanna, I was, I had written that down. I, I didn't know how to transition to that, but like, that's a very interesting thing. Can you please explain? 
Yeah. So um, to me in the audience, like what that means, return on your investment. Yeah. So being second ranked in the country is kind of cool with it because it is such a small institution and um, the way at night, I'm still learning a lot about the college, but it started the university, but it started off as a business college. And then they added um, liberal arts and humanities mm-hmm. uh, early 2000s to become a university. So with that, they continue to stay with their business roots. Um, if you have a humanities or a liberal arts major, you do have a business minor as well. Um, they do a lot with it, but basically it's making sure that not only are you getting the education you want. Um, so I was a psych major in undergrad. Uh, and while I was a psych major, there's no way I would have gone out and started my own business afterwards because I had no idea what, like how to do taxes and stuff like that. Like I wasn't prepared for everything. And Bryant makes sure that not only are you prepared for everything through your classwork, but they also have an awesome alumni network. They have counselors that are sitting they're waiting to talk to you about making sure you're taking the exact classes you need and that you're talking to the right employers to, to come out of it. I think it's, it's over 60,000 a year is what the average first year salary is out of college. What's, what's beautiful about that. Like I'm a dad, I got three kids and I'm, I'm looking at colleges and that a college experience And my daughter is 10 years away from this <laughs> and a lot can change for that, but right. This is in your head, you know, every American father or mother is thinking about what it's going to be like for them in college. And then if I'm a parent, my child is sort of on the edge of, you know, what colleges I'm clearly going to support the Bryant model because I want to make sure that I'm not paying their damn bills when they, when they graduate college. Like right. having that kind of that opportunity or having that focus is really unique. I mean, I, that's something very different. Coupled with of a new program, Division One, right? Mm-hmm. With Division Three sort of roots in a way, right? Because like you're right. small, you're you know, you guys are are nimble. You can bounce around really quick. I mean, that's you sold me. I mean, it's a hell of a it's a hell of a sales pitch, right, Stephanie? I mean, it's pretty darn good. Well, and everything that I'm learning while I'm here just makes it so much better. So like. Just the fact that the I have one of my three returning, unfortunately, is graduating early. She could graduate early and she mm-hmm. has her career figured out. I'm not gonna like blow up what her career is, but right now, if she was to leave college, she has her career figured out. She's graduating a semester early. So Bryant sets you up to be able to do that. Because she's not like somebody that came in with a million college credits or anything like that. They set her up to say, like, this is what you're able to do. It's wild. Yeah, it's, it's so cool to be at a college, that, and I'm not saying that anywhere else I've ever, but it's cool to be able to be at a college that uh, they're really just, they're in it for the student development. And yeah. then for the college or for the university to then say, we're now committed to three more programs. We want to provide this opportunity for that many more uh, female student athletes. Like, sign me up, I'm here. <laughs> Now you are a goal-oriented individual. Let's end with the goals. What are the goals of Bryant? Give me short, mid, long-term. I wanna know where this program's headed because whatever you say right now, I'm pretty certain it's gonna happen. So give me the goals, what are you thinking? Uh, So within three to five years, the goal is that we have a powerhouse program that while we are a small university, we're a small institution, we are going to have that underdog work ethic that 
we may not be the top three teams in our league or in our conference at that time, but sure as hell going to promise you that if one of them slips up at all, we'll be right on their heels. So that way we can capitalize on it. Chills. So, chills. Oh, first, you're going to be in a fight. Step yeah. in, you're going to be in a fight in the next three to five years. Yeah. In the first three years, we want to be turning heads. We want people to be worried about who's coming up off the line. First wow. three to five years, we're going to be that underdog team that's fighting for it. And we want to be, we want to show the longevity of the program, like long-term, like sky's the limit. We, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very interesting thing, showing the long-term, showing the longevity of the program that you're not in it for just the next couple of years. Like you want this thing to survive 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? You want right. this thing to build and be a staple at Bryant, right? You want this to be right. one of the top athletic programs there, right? Absolutely. And that's um, my goal is always as a coach to make sure that the athletes are students of the program, students of the sport, uh, because I want them to understand that everybody can learn, everybody can improve together. And I think that's one of like my foundational goals is to make sure they're students of the sport and they really enjoy the process, like the love the fight model, because to me, that's what's going to make it. So not only do we find success every four years or with like just one really good graduating class, but once we lose some of our top athletes, we have other athletes that are willing and able and educated enough to step up and fill their shoes. We don't want to have just like a fly by night success. We want to make sure that they do it continually. Stephanie, I, uh, I don't say this lightly. I know intimately well, most of the coaches that you have been with in your career, right? Like I've, I've known them one of which for about 20 years of my life. Right. And, uh, I can see that you have pulled the best from all of those coaches. There are things that you're saying, there are things that you're doing that you, 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 are, you are a very good coach and you have a very good future ahead of you because it's clear that you take the best from all of your experiences. And I just heard that here in this <laughs> podcast. Stephanie, I, you know that I'm a fan of yours. I'm so excited for your future. I'm gonna be riding with you alongside of you for as long as you need me and our support. And for those watching and listening, if you want to learn more about Bryant, you want to learn more about Stephanie's journey at Bryant, there will be a link somewhere in here to get a hold of her and get a hold of Bryant. So thank you for tuning in. Stephanie, thank you for being here and doing this podcast with us. I had a blast. No, thank you so much. And I do hope that we hear from people because I do want more of those that want that underdog opportunity and want to show people what it means to be the foundational elements of a program. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. If I wasn't 35, I'd be joining. Just <laughs> everyone know that I'd be joining. Thanks for tuning in. Alex Del Sordo, Romer's Choice. Thank you. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, but we have just Eddie. It's Kevin Sauer. I have with me Anita DeFrance. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Henson. Stephanie Ricker, thank you for being here.